Thank you for joining us online today. If you have a testimony or a prayer request, you can text that to us by texting HOTL to 97000. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can text a dollar amount to 84321. We hope you enjoy the message and have a great day. All right. Is everybody sufficiently thought out? A few of you are. Some of us still have to go home and do some more thawing. Well, hey, if we've not met, my name is Joel Eichlin. I'm the executive pastor here at the house, and I have the honor of continuing our, uh, our series, Communicate to Navigate, um, as we are just past the midpoint in our 21 days of prayer and fasting. How's everybody feeling? Anybody wasted away to nothing yet? No? Okay, you're good. I'm on 14 days of no caffeine. So, you know what's crazy? Has anybody in here ever gone no caffeine? After about day five, I shot out of bed like a cannon. Like, I, it was crazy, man. Like, it's amazing how much caffeine lies to you. Like, it lies to your spirit. And it tells you that you need caffeine to wake up. And then all of a sudden, you're free of caffeine, like being free of an albatross around your neck. And man, I got out of bed and I was like, it's a whole new world, man. Like, my eyes aren't all droopy. And no, it was crazy, man. What's that? Yeah, I like coffee. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's right. I'm going to start coming to House Recovery, dude. This is bad. All right. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Hey, listen, I got a really simple word for you today, um, and, and, and can I tell you why? It's because prayer is really simple, dude. It's really not that complex. Um, I, I, think that, I think that a lot of us, well, let me put it to you this way. I have never met a believer, never, that says, I pray too much. I speak to the Lord too much, told me to shut up. <laughs> told me to stop talking, I just talk too much. I have never once met a believer that actually believes that they pray enough. Now, first of all, I feel like for, for, for the person in the room that constantly judges yourself for your prayer life, I want to give you permission this morning to stop doing that. Amen. Stop it. Shame does not advance your prayer life, by the by. Shame doesn't actually put you in a position where you actually seek the Lord more. All it does is make you feel worse. Secondly, God is not a, he's not a man. Like in the sense of what I'm saying is a lot of times what we think about prayer is that we have to be quote unquote really good at it. There is no one that is good at prayer. Lou Engle isn't good at prayer. Those of you who have no idea who Lou Engle is, don't worry about it. What I mean by that is this, there are no professional prayers there are now there, there might be some people that have an intercessory gift or have a, a, a you know particular proclivity towards prayer, but one of the things that I see that stops people from praying so often is that for whatever reason they think I don't pray well enough, therefore I can't pray. How many of you are aware? God already knows everything that's going on in your life. He already knows everything that's going on in your life. 
Not only that, God knows every single one of your needs before you tell him. Meaning that you don't have to come with a laundry list of things so that God will know where you're at. God already knows where you're at. Moreover, God already knows every single thought that is in your mind. There are some of you that said amen and some of you that ducked. But listen, I also want to tell you for the person that ducked, God knows absolutely everything about you, and he loves you more than anyone could ever love you. He loves you anyway. Even when you're still in a place where you're still trying to capture and take captive every thought, like you're still pretty bad with the net, God loves you anyway. Maybe say it a different way. You don't have to pray so that God will love you. God already loves you. That's why you pray. Listen to this. This is Matthew 6. Jesus in Matthew 6 completely, can I just be honest? I feel like we don't take the words of Jesus very seriously. Really, we don't. Because there are times where Jesus says things cryptically, certainly. You know, he even talks about how, you know, he he teaches the people in parables, but he tells his disciples exactly what's going to happen. There are also times where Jesus is very, very clear. And we're like, ah, it can't be that simple, right? This is what he says in Matthew 6. He says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, here's something for the people that feel like you don't have enough to say. Anyone ever felt like you don't have enough to say when you pray? When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles. Since they imagine that they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. After this prayer, Jesus says something that I think a lot of times we just sort of like blah, blah, yada, yada through. You ever yada, yada through the Bible? Where you're like really uncomfortable with something it says, so you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I think I read that once. Okay, read it again. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your father will not forgive your offenses. So that's tied into the exact same point that Jesus is making. He's actually saying that one of the primary points of prayer is forgiveness. Not just your own, but forgiveness for others. I've always been fascinated by the disciples' plea for Jesus to teach them to pray. Now, if you you read the previous passage in Matthew chapter 6, his disciples come to him and they you know, and they, and they say, you know, master, teach us how to pray. I wonder what I, you know, I, I wonder what I would have asked Jesus if he was walking around today. Like, if I was walking with Jesus in the flesh, what are the questions that I would ask him? What are the things that I would want him to teach me? I feel like, I'll be honest and say, my first 
my first thought would not be, God, teach me to pray. My first thought would probably be like, I need to understand the exact ratio of spit and mud to be able to like heal blind eyes. Like, I need to know just how much anointing I need to cast out certain demons. Like, I need to know exactly how much of this. No, their thought was, after seeing Jesus do all of the things that he did, they didn't ask him, show us how to, show us how to work miracles. Show us, how to, show us how to cast out demons. They said, can you teach us how to pray, if I can say it this way, how to pray like you do? Because they saw something that was intrinsic to Jesus' life, that he was in constant communication with the Father. Now, it could be that part of the reason maybe that, that, that when I read this, I would have had a different priority list in terms of things that I would ask Jesus for, is because at that time, I see, well, I've made say this way. I have never known a time in my life since I became a believer in which I did not have direct access to God. I've never known a time in which I have not been taught, that I have not experienced this idea of constant communication with the Father. But I want to remind you that you have something Moses didn't have. You have something, you have something that Elijah didn't have. You have something that every single person that you read about in scripture, that you've, you know, that you've, that you've created as a hero in your mind, you have something that none of those people had. And that's the ability to communicate directly with your father. Elijah didn't have that. Even Moses, the man who the Bible records that he, that he talked to God as a, man, as a man talks to his friend. But even then, he still had to wait for the presence of God to come down to the tent of meeting. And then he would go to the tent, and he would speak to the Lord, and then the Lord would leave, and Moses would go. It wasn't like he had constant conversation with the Father. He had conversation when the presence came down. You have conversation with God in your car. It's the very reason why when Jesus is describing John the Baptist, he says to him, effectively, from the beginning of time until today, there has not been a greater man born to women than John. And yet from this day forward, he will be the least in the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because he was born and died on this side of the crucifixion and the ascension. You and I are born on this side. We have a different level of citizenship and we have a different level of access. Can I tell you why you should pray? Like at its very basic point, because you have something that even Moses didn't. You have the ability to get to know the Father like he will never know him. Or wouldn't until he saw him face to face. You know, I said this years ago. But it always, it, it always convicts me when I think about it. I'm super excited to see my heroes of the faith. Like when we, you know, we, we move into the new heavens and the new earth, right? Like... There's this, there's this part of me that's really, really excited to meet guys like Moses. Because part of me wants to be like, dude, what was it like to see the burning bush? What I'm terrified of is when he asks me, what was it like to be the burning bush? 
What was it like to be the consumed one? What was it like to have the Holy Spirit on the inside? Do you understand what you have that he didn't have? And for us, sometimes we just shrug it off like it's no big deal. Friend, can I tell you that God living on the inside is the promise that these people prayed for for thousands of years. And sometimes we barely think about it. I want you to consider for a moment that what we have been given through Christ is of incredible and immense value, not just in terms of our salvation, but of our access. See, it isn't that people didn't pray to God back then. It's that they didn't necessarily expect him to speak back. People who had some kind of intimate or direct connection with God were viewed as special. Now we're just called Christian. See, the disciples understood that there was a direct correlation between the work of Jesus and the prayer life of Jesus. In fact, in Matthew 17, Jesus casts out a demon that the disciples couldn't. His response when asked why they couldn't cast it out was twofold. He says, your faith is low and that this kind only comes out with fasting and prayer. Well, what's interesting about that passage is Jesus doesn't stop to fast and pray, which tells us that he had lived a lifestyle of fasting and praying before that so that when he encountered an enemy that wasn't easily conquered, he already had the resources built up by which to conquer it. I guess I want to remind you today, for those of you who maybe are even struggling, like, I remember the first time that I fasted. When I was a kid, I don't know what happened, but our church went through this particular time where we just all decided we we're going to do like a 30-day fast, right? And, um, and so I decided I was going to try a water fast. This is, I'm like, like 12 years old. I have no idea what a water fast entails, right? I got about three days Three days until I was so famished that I was certain I was dying. <laughs> the interesting, I, I understand how difficult it can be to fast, but I want to remind you that sometimes what you're fasting right now is that you're not fasting for something you're dealing with right in this moment. You're actually fasting and storing up for something you're going to deal with later. <laughs> for example... You know that you need to you need a new car, you don't start saving two weeks ahead of time. You start saving immediately to prepare your finances to be able to buy whatever it is you need to buy. See, the point is, is that the disciples had been used to instant gratification prayer. I want you to understand that when, especially in, in, in Matthew 17, where, where they come to Jesus and they're like, I, we couldn't cast this guy out, they had already done all the stuff. He had already sent them out two by two to go preach the gospel, and the Bible records that they were healing the sick, casting out demons, and cleansing lepers. They were doing all the same stuff that Jesus was doing because he'd empowered them to do so. And so imagine that these same guys in which everything had been so easy for them, all of a sudden, there's this one particular demonic entity that they could not cast out. And they had no idea what to do because they'd never encountered it before. Here's the big idea. Intimacy increases authority. Intimacy increases authority. Now, 
Before I go on, I need somebody to hear me when I say that increased authority is not the purpose of intimacy. Like, if you're only praying so that you can heal the sick, that is the wrong motivation to pray. For example, it would be, it would be like being intimate with your spouse so that you could get spending money. Like, if at the end of mommy-daddy time, my, you know, my wife goes like, money, please, I'm going to be like, ah, that was weird. Did I just say mommy, daddy time? <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, it must be the weather. It's cold out there. Anyway. <laughs> oh, man. See, the implication of Scripture all throughout is that the more tuned in you are to the will of God through prayer, the greater access to his authority you have. James chapter 4 says it this way. James says, you do not have because you do not ask. I'm going to stop right there for a moment. If we just take this one Scripture, how many of you would be like, well, I don't know about that. I've asked a lot. And then <laughs> I love how James, James kind of just like squares the whole thing up, right? And he says, or you ask and don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So either you don't ask or you're selfish. <laughs> Thank you, James. I needed that last part. <laughs> See, my goal, listen, my goal in prayer isn't to have all my prayers answered. My goal is to know him more. My goal is to understand his will for my life. See, some of us have forgotten that prayer is an exercise not in figuring out the seven ways of getting your prayers answered or the 15 effective phrases that move heaven. Prayer is a conversation. In fact, I'll be honest and say, you know, when I see books, when I see books that come out that, you know, that talk about like 15, you know, ways of, you know, uh, you know, the courtrooms of whatever or, you know, seven different, it bothers me. Not because maybe these things aren't, you know, sometimes effective, but it feels like, what are we trying to do here? Like bend God's arm? Like, are we trying to figure out how to manipulate the master of the universe? Is that what we're doing? Because, you know, that seems a little, I'm, I'm going to use this terminology. It kind of seems like divination a little bit to me. Rather than relationship. If the only reason I pray is to see my requests come to pass. That's like living in a bad marriage where it's just a give and take between husband and wife. You get what you want, I get what I want. Is that really what we think about marriage? I hope not. See, the balance is knowing that when I'm in constant contact with the Father, I have access to his authority while also understanding that that's not the point. See, God doesn't need to know my needs. I need to know his will. I'm going to say this again because I think so often we treat prayer like we're talking to a genie. God doesn't need to know my needs. Number one, because it's not because he's ignorant. He already knows them. Listen, if you're struggling financially in here, I need you to hear this. God knows that. He knows the contents of your bank account, as it turns out. If there are issues in your family, God knows that. I am not saying, by the way, never tell God what you need. Never pretend you have a need. I'm saying that most of us, we spend most of our time in prayer 
as though God doesn't see us at all and doesn't know intimately exactly what we're going through. God is not far off somewhere in heaven and you're just down here by yourself. God is with you in all that you're going through. He's with you right now. In fact, for those of you who are brokenhearted, Psalms tells us that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, which means that when you go through difficult things, God's not off over here somewhere like, ah, geez, what do I say? The Bible actually tells us that when we are going through hardships, God is technically closer to us than he was before, if that's possible. Listen to James again in James chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. He says, the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. And then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. Okay, a couple of things in here. First, for those of you who, who listened and said and heard the prayers of a righteous man, I want you to hear this. That's you. Regardless of whatever thing just popped into your mind about what you may or may not have done last week, you are the righteous person in this scenario. Can I tell you why? It's because when you said yes to Jesus and he became king over your life, the great exchange happened where he took your rags and he gave you his righteousness. The Bible says that you and I, the church, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. So when you read the prayers of a righteous man, don't look to the guy next to you and be like, oh yeah, he's way more righteous than me. No, you have Christ's righteousness. You are the righteous man in the verse. So your prayers have a mighty effect. Secondly, there's a reason why he uses Elijah. It's because so many of us, we like, you know, like my, my, my favorite story growing up wasn't actually David and Goliath. I liked the story of David and Goliath, but it was, it got too flannel graphy for me. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when you're a kid, David and Goliath is the story. Because they're like, you, just like you, David slayed a giant. And you too can slay a giant at six. You're like, yeah, give me a slingshot. I'm ready. But my favorite story was the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. Where he effectively, you know, he battles, you know, the, you know, he, he well, he doesn't battle really. But he, you know, he has a, he has a, he has a showdown, let's call it that, with, you know, the prophets of Asherah and Baal and, and what I loved about it is he mocks them. And, you know, I was always told, I was always told that sarcasm was really bad. And then you see Elijah in the Bible using sarcasm. As he says, yell a little bit louder. Maybe your God's on the John. <laughs> I bet he can't hear you. Just cut yourself a little more. That'll work. I love that story. <laughs> but the point that John is making is this. There's another translation that says it this way. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, 
Meaning what? He's a normal guy. There's nothing special about him that you don't also have. Nothing special. The only special thing about Elijah is that he was a man that said yes when he was in the midst of a culture that said no. All that was special about Elijah is that he was willing to be used of God in a generation where nobody else wanted to be used of God. If you want to see things happen, the best availability, excuse me, the best ability is availability. You know, I've heard, I was listening to a couple of analysts talk, I'm a huge Seahawk fan, which is a huge bummer right now. But... They were talking about one particular player and how, you know, how, how, how many, you know, like how, how elite that he can be, quote unquote, when healthy. And there was an analyst that simply said, listen, it's great that when healthy, this guy is an, is an incredible safety. But the truth is, is that the best ability is availability. If you're not on the field, it doesn't matter how good you are. Listen, does anybody in this room? After everything that you've read in scripture or seen, is there anybody in here that actually believes that it's you that does God's works? Do you think it was Elijah that caused fire to come down from heaven? What did Elijah do? He just prayed. He just asked. And yeah, if he'd have prayed and asked and fire hadn't come out of heaven, he might have had a little egg on his face. But the point that James is making is he's saying, listen, he's just a dude like you. He's, I'm, I'm going to say it. He's a dude. Okay, you're a dude. All right? Like, you're a dude. And he was a dude like you. The only thing that he did, the only thing that he did that caused him to see the things that he saw was he said, I will. I'll go. If nobody else will, I will. So what does it mean to pray effectively? I just got a couple points and then we're, we're closing up. In fact, I'm kind of landing the plane now. Number one, pray God, speaking of landing the plane, I was, uh, <laughs> I was in Portland this last week and uh, I got a couple of very, thank you for the text messages, by the way. But, like, I got a couple of very concerned text messages because a few people knew that my wife and I were, uh, were going to Vancouver uh, to minister to church. And as we were, as we were touching down, um, there, was a, there was another plane that was an Alaska Airlines plane that the, like, wall, like, fell off while they were in midair. And, yeah, it was crazy. Anyway, number one, pray God's will. Pray God's will. See, we have a tendency... We have a tendency to effectively demand what we believe is in God's plans for us, and then we wonder why it's not happening. Can I contend that perhaps we have forgotten that God typically doesn't answer prayers that are outside of his will? And like, you know, just being really like transparent, like I'm so thankful for that because there were things that I prayed as a young man that I realize now if I had received them, they would have destroyed me. Like if God had been not God, I mean, if he had been not wise like me, 
And if he would have just like answered all of my prayers, my life would have been absolutely shipwrecked multiple times. Why is that? It's because, especially then, man, I was so selfish and I had no concept of God's will for my life. I thought God's will for my life because I was a pretty good singer was I was going to be the next Jeremy Camp. Like, I could even, I could even emulate Jeremy Camp's voice. How don't you stay? I mean, like, I could literally, I mean, I literally thought I was going to be the next Jeremy Camp, and that was God's will for me. And then, when the rug got pulled out from under me, I actually found out what God's will for my life was. Because I stopped praying for things that God didn't have for me. Can I tell you what you need most? You ready for it? What you need most is not more money. It's not a wife. It's not a husband. It's not a career. What you need most is to know what God's will is for your life. When you understand God's will, when you understand God's will and you actually get yourself in that position, you'll start seeing the things that you pray for lining up with the things that are answered. Because I don't want to, pr- I'm sorry, I'm getting into my next point. Okay. First Kings. Chapter three, verse 10 to 14 says, now it pleased the Lord that Solomon had requested this. So God said to him, because you have requested this and did not ask for long life or riches for yourself or the death of your enemies, but you asked discernment for yourself to administer justice. I will therefore do what you have asked. I'll give you a wise and understanding heart so that there has, so that there has never been anyone like you before and never will be again. In addition, like imagine hearing that for a moment. You're Solomon. God just told you, I'm going to make you so wise that there will, it will be as though there has never been anyone like you before and there will never be anyone like you again. That would be a pretty big promise. I'd be pretty happy with that. I'd be like, dang, that sounds like I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> In addition, this is, so more than that, I will give you what you did not ask for, both riches and honor, so that no king will be your equal during your entire life. If you walk in my ways and keep my statutes and commands, just as your father David did, I will give you a long life. That's an effective prayer. Because what Solomon realized, if you don't know the story, what happens is, Solomon is crowned king. His father David dies. And the night that he's crowned, the Lord comes to him in a dream and says, because of your father David and the covenant that I swore to him, I will give you whatever you ask for. I want you to imagine for a moment that tonight God shows up in your dreams and he says, Ruthie, I'm going to give you this one time. I'm going to give you whatever you ask for. Imagine what you would ask for. I'd be like, Lord, can I sleep on it? (laughs) Let me really think about this, dude. But Solomon, even then, had the wisdom to say, who can lead the people of Jehovah? 
Like, give me wisdom and discernment, or else I'm going to screw this whole thing up. And because he asked for the right thing that was actually in God's will for his life, he received also all the other things that he didn't ask for. Really what Solomon said, he said, Lord, I'm a king. Make me a better servant. When was the last time that we asked the Lord to make us better servants? See, God's will for your life isn't to make you wealthy, it's to make you fruitful. The Lord's prayer includes five separate prayer points. Only one of them is about personal provision. The other four are either asking that God's will would be supreme or they're in relation to how we treat others. Translation, many of us are praying significantly more for ourselves than for others, and it's showing in how many of our prayers are actually answered. Number two, pray faithfully. Hebrews 11, verses 32 to 39, says, and what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and in holes in the ground. I might question, I'll be honest, that first, that first half is awesome, where it's like, yeah, I became mighty in battle, let's go, right? The second half, where people are hiding in holes, like, I might question even now God's favor over my life if I was residing in a hole. And yet, verse 39 tells us that all of these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. See, some of us grow frustrated by what we perceive as God's lack of movement or his quote-unquote slowness. But man, can you imagine if you were praying with the full knowledge that the promise that you were praying for wouldn't happen in your day? Like, I need you to understand that in our culture of self-gratification and immediate results, that there were a people, there were a people that were praying for the salvation of Christ, the coming of the Messiah, thousands of years before he actually came. The question that I feel like I, I, I felt like the Lord wanted me to, to ask this morning was, when was the last time that you asked or prayed for something that you know would not happen in your day? What have you sown into the future with your prayers? In an increasingly self-gratifying world, we need to become more content with praying for that which we may not see and believing for promises that aren't for us. And being content with the reality that there are some things that we're praying for that a different generation may see come to fruition. Perfect example of this was a man named Count Nicholas Zinzendorf. He was a nobleman in Germany in the 1700s, and he, he was burdened to create a different kind of, of community. 
Zinzendorf was, was convinced that the Lord had asked him to create a town in which the main focus was prayer. For over a hundred years in Hirnhut, Germany, Zinzendorf's community never ceased to pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Out of this little town were sparked both great awakenings that reshaped Europe and America. Can I tell you who didn't get to see him? Nicholas Zinzendorf. Because he realized that he was sowing into something that was worth giving his life to, even if he never saw it himself. You can have the worship team come up. And number three, just pray, bro. <laughs> just pray, man. Listen, for whatever reason, we are obsessed with the idea that God wants the best prayer or like the best song or the best, you know, whatever. Like, oh my goodness. The truth is, is that what God wants is an authentic heart, not a polished discourse. He wants an authentic heart, not a polished discourse. God doesn't desire the best voice. He wants a surrendered heart. You don't have to be a great singer in order to worship. And I'd in fact argue that some of the most acceptable worship to God comes from the worst singers. If you're in the room today and you struggle with worshiping publicly because your voice resembles that of an ugly duckling voice. Can I tell you a little something? Your worship before the Lord is actually a perfect sacrifice. And it's because every single time, every single time that you sing that note out of tune because you can't carry a tune in a bucket, that is a sacrifice to the Lord. I actually... I had to learn how to actually worship because for years, my voice was an idol to myself. I wasn't singing because I really loved Jesus. I was singing because I could really sing. And I had to train myself because of my voice. I had to train myself to actually worship. There are some people in the room that you are so much farther along in your worship than I could ever be because you have been sacrificing since the day you were born. I need you to hear, God is not looking for your perfection. In fact, I would even go so far as to say this, stop telling yourself you're not good enough to worship because the Bible actually tells me that you are what? you are fearfully and wonderfully made, which means that God knew exactly what he was doing when he gave you what he gave you. He didn't forget something. He didn't leave something out. He didn't, you know, like, I remember one time I left baking powder out of a, out of a recipe and the whole thing collapsed. It was terrible. God didn't forget the baking powder with you. There is not a single thing that you are lacking in order to give God the praise that he is due. 
Don't tell yourself for one second that because maybe you don't have the best voice that that means that you're not the best worshiper. See, this is the secret of worship. I bring him nothing. I have nothing to give. I've got nothing to give him. You know, I'd imagine, not that we're even in Christmas anymore, but I was just thinking about the Magi as they, you know, they came to the Lord. I wonder, after seeing the child, if they realized how worthless their gifts actually kind of were in comparison. Gold, frankincense, myrrh, nothing. What can I give him? Nothing. The only thing I can give him is my heart. That's the only thing that's worthwhile. I give him my brokenness. I give him my rags. And he turns it into beauty. See, in the same way, God is not asking you to become a prayer virtuoso overnight. In fact, as I said earlier, Jesus goes after the notion of need to be good at prayer in Matthew 6. Actually, God wants you to really talk to him, and he gave you a very easy start. Can I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give somebody in the room that thinks you're quote-unquote bad at prayer hope today. If you don't know what to pray, then actually obey Jesus. Come and say to this side of the room. If you don't know what to pray, actually obey Jesus. Because he already told you what to pray. He didn't say, give me a 45-minute dissertation. He didn't say, give me a 35-minute sermon. What he said was, actually, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't feel like because you say a lot of stuff that God hears you. In fact, he already knows everything that you need before you ever say it. And so instead of doing all of that and putting so much pressure and stress and weight on yourself, so much so that you say, oh gosh, I don't even feel like praying because I don't know what to pray. Pray like this. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He already gave us the blueprint. You remember what I said earlier when I said, I think sometimes we don't actually take Jesus seriously. Sometimes because Protestants and evangelicals, like we are, we're like trying so hard to not be Catholic that everything Catholics do, we're just like, we can't, can't do that. That's crazy. That's what Catholics do. Yeah, because it turns out it's in the Bible. And Jesus told you to do it. He said, don't be crazy. You don't have to go insane with it. You don't have to say 18 million things before it's quote unquote enough. Actually, when you pray, say this. It's not that complicated. You remember when I said I had a simple word today? Prayer is not complex. You don't have to be, I'm sorry. Okay. For everybody that's read a million books on prayer, God love you. I think it's great. Read more books. I don't know. I think everybody should read. But just because somebody told you 
that to access the courtrooms of heaven, you have to have six keys of the, you know, David and Daniel and, you know, and, and Elijah and, you know, whatever it is. Don't believe them. Stop listening to them. Do you know what you need to access the throne room of God? Jesus. And he already did it. We are 2,000 years removed from having to have some kind of intermediary between you and the Father. You already have all the access that you could ever hope for. It's not complex. And because it's so simple, we think to ourselves, it can't possibly be that simple. Except it is. It is that simple. God is not looking for some crazy thing from you. All he's looking for is a heart that actually wants to talk to him. Come on. How many of you in here have a best friend? How many times when you talk with your best friend are those conversations idiotic? What is a best friend for? I'm not saying your conversations with the Lord are going to be idiotic. What I'm saying is the purpose of prayer is relationship in the same way that the purpose of conversation is relationship. God wants to talk to you. It's that simple. That's it. This is where I'm landing, right here, 1230. Plane landing. The, we're hitting the tarmac. Psalm 109, verse 4. Though I love them, they stand accusing me like Satan for what I've never done. Listen to this last part. This is kind of what I wanted to hang on here. It says, I will pray until I become prayer itself. I will pray until I become prayer itself. As we close up, I want to remind you not to just pray, but to become your prayer. Don't be content to pray for God's will to heal. Become God's will to heal. In the same way that Jesus first told his disciples to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out more workers, and then he sent them out. Remind yourself that prayer shouldn't just change your prayer life, it should change your actual life. Don't just pray that God will give you a greater desire for him. Pray it and then live it. Make more time in your day. Make more time in your life to seek the presence of God. Don't just pray that God would heal the sick. Pray it and then be faithful to pray for the sick. Don't just pray that God would reach your family member. Pray it and then be reaching out to others. See, I'm praying for the mind of Christ so that I can become the agent of the mind of Christ in the earth. Why don't you stand in your feet with me this morning? I want to encourage you. Man, we are seven days. Seven days left in our 21 days of prayer and fasting. But what I really want to encourage you is don't just seek the Lord in 21 days. Man, make this 21 days a declaration that you're seeking the Lord every day for the rest of your life. Man, I want to encourage you as we leave this place today. I want to encourage you not to overcomplicate your prayer life. Don't overcomplicate it. It's not that complex. It's not that complex. God just wants to talk to you. Amen. God, I thank you for this wonderful people. Jesus, I pray that you would continue that you would continue to dwell richly in each person. God, I pray that 
that there would be a, just a, a renewed call to prayer in this season. There'd be a renewed call to intercession in this time. God, I pray that our hearts would be, uh, would be, so, would be so deep with longing for you. God, I pray over every household here that you would bless them. God, I pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon them. And Jesus, we love you. We thank you. It's in your good name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you're new with us this morning, uh, I would encourage you on your way out to make sure that you swing by the info table. We have a gift for you, and we would love to connect with you. Um, don't forget that Friday night... Uh, is the start of our encounter conference. I really want to encourage you to make sure that you make time for it. I believe that God is going to do something really significant this year in your life. With all of that said, I'm going to pray a quick blessing and we'll dismiss you. So Lord, I thank you for this wonderful people. I pray that you would bless them and that you would keep them. Lord, I pray that you would lift your countenance towards them and give them peace. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful week, church. Uh, we're going to have prayer teams come up this time. If you need prayer, we would love to pray with you. That said, have a wonderful week. God bless you.